All right, welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast, which is part of Fantasy Basketball International. This is episode 35, and today I'm joined by Alex Kennedy of BasketballNews.com. We're going to discuss his journey through the industry and what we saw in the first few days of NBA basketball now that we're back. So we are going to go ahead and get into that. All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring Alex in. Alex, I uh, was able to kind of join you on your podcast, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now at this point, which was awesome. And you, I guess, are kind of returning the favor, hopping on here with me to kind of discuss some hoops. Now that we are back, the NBA is back. But first, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. First of all, that was an awesome intro. I'm kind of jealous. I think I need something like that for my show. That was pretty sick. Uh, but yeah, you jumped on my podcast, had to return the favor. Uh, and yeah, basketball's back. We're not just talking hypotheticals anymore. We actually have games to break down. So it's a lot of fun. Definitely. And shout out to B-Dub for the intros. He's really good with all the editing stuff. That's not anything by me. I'm nowhere near good enough with uh, any sort of video editing to pull that off. But B-Dub, <laughs> B-Dub can swing it. So appreciate him. Um, so yeah, before we get into any of the games, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of your career path a little bit, um, looking through your LinkedIn and your Twitter, it's, you've had a lot of really cool experiences. Um, what is kind of your role right now with basketball news? Yeah. So right now I'm the chief content officer of basketball news. Basically three years ago, uh, I was approached by the owner of basketball news and they said, look, we want to launch this company uh, and you can kind of build the staff and, and kind of grow it into whatever you want. Uh, I had been at Hoops Hype in USA Today before that. Uh, and so I thought that was a really intriguing uh, option basically to be able to build a staff up. They wanted a mix of veteran journalists and NBA players. So we had a bunch of great writers. We had, um, Kenyon Martin, Aton Thomas, James Posey, Vinny Del Negro, uh, Corey Brewer briefly. We had a bunch of players that were doing podcasts and articles. Um, so yeah, it was really it was really fun over the last three years building this thing into, um, you know, I think one of the better independent basketball websites out there. We had tons of great content from not only our writers, but the podcasters. Rex Chapman's another one who ended up doing a podcast with us. Um, and it was a ton of fun. So I'm still a chief content officer there. We're going through a bit of a change right now, you know, a bit of a adjustment period where uh, the staff has changed a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been so much fun kind of having that challenge of building my own company, essentially, uh, and then managing a staff of like 50 plus people. Uh, that's been a big adjustment going from kind of just when I entered this, I just wanted to be a writer. And then everything else has kind of came with it. Podcasting, being on video, now kind of being an editor and managing a staff and all that. So I never really envisioned that for me, but uh, it's been a ton of fun kind of going out of my comfort zone a little bit and learning more about what it's like not only to produce my own content, but also kind of be an executive and, and manage other people and that side of things. Yeah, and you mentioned building your own staff. Sorry to put you on the spot a little bit here. Was there anybody in particular that when they said, hey, like you get to build the staff, some experienced writers, some, you know, I guess former NBA players as well, um, was there anybody that immediately like bang, like went to mind and said, I need them on my staff. I need them bad. 
Yeah, Nikias Duncan was one of the first guys that I hired. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, he had been working part-time and like as a freelancer for a couple of different websites, but he had never really had a full-time opportunity. He had like a day job and was never able to focus on writing full-time. And so I, I'd been in his shoes before, you know, in the past, and I knew what it's like to kind of balance a day job with trying to write, especially the way he does it. He breaks down film, watches more games than anyone I know. Uh, so to be able to do that, you know, as a hobby essentially and without, uh, doing it full time, uh, I knew that if he was able to kind of be full time with us, that we could kind of unleash him. And he had this really loyal following. I mean, his his followers and readers, they just absolutely love his stuff. And so I had approached him and basically said, we want to bring you on full time as a writer. We also want you to host a podcast. And at first he was like, I don't know. He's a very quiet guy. And he's like, I only talk when I have to. I don't know if I want to do a podcast. But I told him, like, you'd be fantastic. We'll get you a great co-host, da 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 And uh, that's how the Dunker Spot kind of came about. And he's turned that into something really special. J.J. Reddick and uh, the Old Man the 3 Podcast Network, they ended up acquiring the Dunker Spot. I'm so happy for them. Nikias and Steve are fantastic, and they're crushing it. Um, so, yeah, Nikias was one of the first writers that came to mind. And then on the player side, I had worked with Aton Thomas before at Hoops Hype. Um, and I think he's a fantastic writer. I think one of the things that I've kind of learned in this role is that the players who are really uh, dedicated to writing and care about media, they're the ones who have success. You know, you, you see, you can have the biggest name in the world, but if they're really not engaged uh, or they're, they're doing it as like their fourth or fifth, uh, you know, hustle essentially, or like they're, it's not a top priority, it's not going to be great. So um, Aton is similar to the guys like a JJ Reddick or a Matt Barnes or one of these guys that's kind of just all in when it comes to media. And I love his articles. He has tons of great insight. He knows everyone. I mean, he has tons of connections in the NBA uh, and has a ton of respect from all, not only, you know, former players that he played with, but also a lot of the current players. So some of the guests he's able to get on his podcast are incredible people he could interview for articles. So those were two of the guys that came to mind initially. Uh, and Spencer Davies as well. He was someone that I had worked with previously at Basketball Insiders. Uh, and I have a ton of respect for him as an editor, as a writer. He, he's great when it comes to uh, you know, doing exclusive interviews and writing long form features and stuff like that. So I kind of initially had that core in mind. And then from there, we just kept kind of adding more and more people and branching out. And, you know, one of the things that I'm proud of that we did was finding a lot of up and coming writers and really give them an opportunity, kind of mentor them. Uh, and uh, a lot of them saw a ton of success. Like I think when Nikias joined us, not that he was up and coming, you know, he has already he had already established himself to an extent. But I think he had like twelve or thirteen thousand followers when he joined Basketball News. Now he's at like almost ninety thousand. I mean, it's it's awesome to see what he's been able to do again by having this as a full time job and be able to focus on this. So yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of success stories we've had with Basketball News and uh, a lot of great writers and and players that kind of came through there. Definitely. You guys had a stacked lineup, uh, both sides with players and just journalists that are do phenomenal work, but everybody has to start somewhere. When did you kind of know, Hey, I really want to get into sports journalism and kind of pursue this full time. I have a really weird career path. I started when I was 14 years old. Uh, I knew younger than most that I was never going to play professional sports. <laughs> you know, it was obviously <laughs> the dream to like be in the NBA or be in the NFL, but I just knew I was nowhere near good enough. I was very realistic about that, even at a very young age. So I started writing for these different blogs and websites online. Real GM was one of them. Uh, and when I was 14 years old, I, I one of the other Real GM writers was able to go cover a Golden State Warriors game. And I was like, well, I work for the same place he does. Maybe I could get a credential 
Central. And so I emailed the Orlando Magic PR department out of nowhere and basically said, hey, I'm 14 years old. I want to see if this is kind of the career path for me. Could I come to a practice or a game? And they were super cool. Joel Glass, Jason Wallace. Joel is actually still in Orlando as the head of PR there. Uh, and he was so cool and basically said, yeah, you can come to a game. You have to bring a chaperone, <laughs> which looking back is embarrassing. <laughs> but my dad actually came with me. Uh, so I would go to games at like 14 years old interviewing, you know, Jameer Nelson and Steve Francis and all these guys that were there. Um, and it was great experience. Like the first few years I was, you know, just trying not to get in the way and kind of learn from watching the other writers and stuff. And then by the time I was like 18, 19 years old, I had been doing it for a few years. I was comfortable. And I actually realized that it almost was an advantage my age at that point, because I was the same age as a lot of the young players that were entering the NBA. And so they would give me one-on-one -on -one interviews or when a guy would sign somewhere in free agency, he would text me and tell me where he was going and so that's how i was able to build my following on social media by getting some of those scoops getting one-on-one -on -one interviews uh and that's how i got the attention of uh hoops world usa today hoops hype the companies that i would later work for uh they saw some of the work i was doing at a young age um so when i was out of college i kind of had a, an opportunity with them and was able to uh you know do this full-time right out of college uh so yeah i started at a very young age i knew early on kind of blew my mind that i'm like you can get paid to watch basketball and then just write about it like and i thought that was the coolest thing in the world so i'm very lucky that i knew what i wanted to do from a young age and that people opened the doors for me to kind of get experience early on um so that all throughout college i was working and, and basically doing the job and then had a full-time role right when i finished yeah that's not at all what i expected to hear that uh, from 14 years old the magic were allowing you and that's awesome shout out to the magic uh for allowing you to do that um, when I was looking through, like I mentioned on your LinkedIn, um, it seems like you've had some incredible interviews. Like I know there's a few on there that were mentioned. I'm sure that you've had plenty that weren't mentioned. What's uh, or who's one of your favorite players, either that you've interviewed multiple times or just like an iconic interview that you've had that just really sticks out to you? I think the craziest two were interviewing Kobe Bryant and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on my podcast. That was wild. Kobe <laughs> followed me on Twitter out of nowhere and I followed him. I mean, I was already following him, but I DM'd him. I followed him back. Yeah, he followed me. Yeah. First. No, I'm just kidding. He followed me and I was like blown away. And so I DM'd him and I, I looked through who he was following. I think that same day he had followed like five or six different writers. And so my first, you know, my first thought was maybe he wants to promote something because that, that sometimes happens, you know, mm -hmm. athletes, if they they follow a couple different writers who are making the rounds. They have a book or a show or something that they're trying to promote. Um, and then sure enough, that same day, the press release for Detail came out, the ESPN show. And so I DM'd him and I basically said, you know, hey, I'm excited about this show. I'd love to have you come to my podcast and talk about it. We could talk about your career, everything. Uh, and within like 30 minutes, he responded. It was so cool and said, yeah, email my PR person. Let's set it up, you know. Uh, and he came on for like 35, 40 minutes, was fantastic, talked about his career. We got into like different hypotheticals, like what would have happened if he did join the Bulls. Uh, mm. And it was fantastic. And he was actually someone I interviewed when I was younger too. When I was 16 years old, I got to interview him one-on-one -on -one, and he remembered that and was very cool. So wow. that was a really special one, being able to talk to him one-on-one -on -one for like 40 minutes. Um, that was awesome. And then the other one that kind of stands out is interviewing Kareem one-on-one -on -one, uh, at NBA All-Star Weekend in Charlotte. Uh, the Retired Players Association has this event where all the retired guys come together and have like a banquet um, and a meeting. And they had asked me, hey, there's going to be some players here, you know, from this list, who would you want to interview? And so I, you know, 
asked about a couple of them, and Kareem was on the list. And I was kind of like, mm, am I really going to get Kareem? Like, I'll ask, but it's probably not going to happen. Sure enough, they made it happen, and I was able to sit down with him. The Kobe one was over, like, Zoom. This one was in person, so that mm-hmm. was really cool, too. You know, and again, he got he was there with like for 45 minutes, got to ask him a ton of different questions. And I had heard, like, oh, Kareem could be kind of grumpy, and you never know what you're going <laughs> to get. And he was, like, the nicest guy. I think uh, – I, I, I think he appreciated that I did my research. And I think a lot of younger fans, they ask either the same questions or they just don't know anything about his career. So I think like we started off with some strong questions and then I think he appreciated some of the, the research that went into it and he was phenomenal. So yeah, those are two that to this day, I just still can't believe it happened. Like it feels surreal. Um, and yeah, those stand out. And then as far as like guys that I've interviewed a number of times, Jamal Crawford is like one of my favorite human beings on this planet. He's like the nicest person. Um, so he always stands out to me. Like, you know, he'll to this day, he'll ask about like my wife and things like that. Like he's just a very cool guy. So anytime I can talk to Jamal is always fun just because he's, he has a great basketball mind and, uh, is a great interview i mean i'm not surprised that he's had success as a broadcaster because he's like incredible when it comes to interviewing um but he's also just like a a great human being so he's someone that i've loved interviewing like repeatedly over the years yeah it's actually funny with jamal crawford so i'm from around atlanta i grew up a hawks fan they did a meet and greet and i think 2010 or 2011 it was the first year that larry drew was the head coach there um and i remember jamal crawford was one of the nicest players like not everybody was mean or anything like that but jamal crawford was very open to conversation so i'm not surprised at all that you know he's been a great interview as well and then with kareem and shooter shoot i mean you asked and then uh just happened to work out which is which is awesome is that's uh if i'm not mistaken that's your profile picture on twitter as well yep still the profile picture but you're right that's the that's the takeaway shooter shoot because that's also shooter shoot dming kobe randomly and trying to get interview like i've always told people like if you're gonna you should ask uh, basically put yourself out there and, and don't be afraid of rejection because you're going to hear a ton of no's, but like the handful of yeses that you get could be like career changing yeses. So yeah, that's a big thing for me. I, I constantly shoot. I'm, I'm J.R. Smith out there. I'm, I'm not afraid to fire <laughs> up a uh, shot. Left and right. I love that. I love that. And then, you know, we mentioned it earlier because with the running up the score podcast, how did that kind of come about? Like what made you want to start that? And then how have you gotten some of these? I mean, I guess we kind of know now, but some of these cool guests you've gotten so far. Yeah, you know, that was something where I had done my previous podcast, the one that had Kobe and Kareem. That was the Hoops Hype podcast. Mm-hmm. I had left, left Hoops Hype, and I wanted a new show, uh, and I, I liked the idea of doing it live. Uh, we had success over the past year or two with Basketball News having these live streams where we would either have, like, a watch party where it'd be myself and some NBA players. We'd watch a game together and break it down, or we'd have, like, reactionary-type shows, like for free agency or the trade deadline or the draft. And so I really liked doing those live shows, uh, so I wanted to kind of have a similar uh, live twice a week show. And that came about uh, just because I think right now it's so crazy in sports media. Uh, there's obviously like layoffs happening all the time and uh, it's it's a pretty wild time. So the thought of having my own show that I kind of owned was really uh, something that was appealing to me. And so that's how it came about. I decided to kind of launch it and uh, I had done if I had launched podcasts before for other people and then launched a couple of my own. So I kind of knew what went into it and uh, just decided to go ahead and do it. And I like the idea of having not 
only NFL or uh, NBA guests, but also NFL and other sports too. I think that's really appealing. So that's the first time I've been able to do that. Um, so yeah, that's how that kind of launched. And then as far as being able to get guests, you know, I've had, I went and uh, interviewed Paolo Bancaro after uh, an Orlando Magic practice. That was really cool. Um, you know, he's, he's great. Sean Marion, I got him when he was in Abu Dhabi promoting uh, the Abu Dhabi games. So he jumped on Zoom with me and I was able to talk to him for 20 minutes. Um, we had Ryan 2K, who I've known for several years now, and he's always great. Um, and then tonight, actually, I have uh, Tim Martin, who is Victor Wembanyama's trainer. And we talk about Wemby's debut, his work with Wemby. Um, we have some other guests that are coming up. I think uh, Mark Cuban's going to come on at some point here in the near future. I'm working on that scheduling-wise. Uh, and then a couple of players, too, uh, we're working on getting them on. I think uh, Jalen Williams from the Thunder is scheduled. And then, awesome. uh, yeah, and then Jake Fisher is my guest next week to talk NBA oh, yeah. rumors and things like that. So it's been fun. I think that's one of the fun parts of doing it. It's it feels like uh, kind of back in my radio days, kind of like booking segments. That's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, and it's always cool being able to get, you know, great guests. Yeah, a lot of great guests. You've already done a lot more coming up. So I guess everybody that's listening to this, if you're not already subscribe to uh, running up the score and check out Alex's new podcast. But we can go ahead and get into I guess some of the NBA content, because now we've had a few games. We've been able to watch a few. Uh, last night, we saw Damian Lillard's debut for the Bucks. Uh, I believe he had 39 points, and they were able to squeak out a win uh, after a, a last-second three by D'Anthony Melton made it a one-point game instead of a four-point game. But what did you kind of see on either side with the Bucks playing with Damian Lillard for the first time and the Sixers playing without James Harden? Yeah, it's funny. A buddy of mine who's a big Miami Heat fan texted me right after the game. And he's like, I'm not going to lie. That was really hard to watch. I was like, yeah, that's pretty brutal. Uh, I mean, we know Dame is fantastic. Uh, there were some people that were wondering, uh, you know, how he'd fit in Milwaukee. I think he and Giannis are just a perfect fit together. Um, it's going to be so much fun watching this team. And it's not even just those two. The supporting cast they have is incredible, too. You know, I know Chris Middleton didn't play there for uh, the second half. And, you know, he, they're trying to kind of be cautious with him. Um, but when this team is at full strength, they're just going to be so talented. Uh, even like their second unit, they have a lot of veterans and quality pieces there. So I think not only do they have the star power at the top, but they just have so much depth. That I, I'm really excited about this team. And I think you're, you're hearing all the right things, too. Like, anytime a team introduces a focal point like a Dame Lillard, you know, uh, and they already have a, a superstar-type player, um, you always have to wonder, like, how is it going to fit? And, and, you know, are they going to be able to – are they going to step on each other's toes? Or how are they going to – you know, you see with every duo that kind of comes together. But I saw yesterday before the game, Giannis said, this is Dame's mm -hmm. team. Like, they're saying the right things. Um, it seems like they're fine as far as how they're going to coexist. I think it helps that Giannis and Dame are both – very down to earth, kind of easy to deal with people. You know, I've had great experiences with both of them, and I've heard nothing but good things over the years about both of those guys. So I think that helps. Um, but I'm so excited about this Bucks team. I mean, Dame is is uh, incredible, and they're they're going to be, I think, the best team in the East. I know Celtics fans don't agree with that, but uh, I think they're my favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference. I, I think they're absolutely loaded. Um, and then as far as the Sixers, it's just so tough right now because you have this whole James Harden situation that's kind of hanging over the team. Um, there was the drama that was reported yesterday of him trying to show up and security turning him away and all this different stuff. And I mean, who knows how long this is going to go on for because we've seen Daryl Morey is willing to wait things out and be patient until he can get uh, the offer that he wants. So it's possible that there's not a resolution in the situation until January, February, maybe. So I don't know. It's, it's tough to judge. You know, they are a talented team. This is a team that 
uh, it was a contender with Harden. And I think, you know, I saw Kevin O'Connor last night said uh, with the right trade, they could still be a contender. You know, they could put the right pieces around Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, P.J. Tucker, and, and they could still contend potentially. So, yeah, I mean, they're a very tough team to kind of gauge right now and predict what's going to happen just because there's so much up in the air. Um, but I don't know. I think their, their supporting cast look good. I, I think they have uh, some nice veterans that they were able to add. You know, uh, Kelly Oubre was fantastic last night. Um, we, we saw, you know, some positive minutes from Jaden Springer. They obviously had Patrick Beverly. Uh, there's a number of players in that team that uh, I, I think are good supporting pieces uh, in addition to that core that I already mentioned. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're just such a hard team to, to read right now because – this thing could last for most of the season or half the season. Um, and if that's the case, then I, that's why when I was breaking down the Eastern Conference before the season, I couldn't put the Sixers as like a contender or, you know, near the top because who knows what's going to happen. Uh, and, I mean, if they do this trade with the Clippers, it sounds like the pieces they're going to get back aren't really going to help them this year. It'd be more about, you know, long term with them, you know, draft picks. Apparently, uh, Terrence Mann it wouldn't be included unless they change what they're asking for a draft asset wise. So, I don't know. I think the Sixers team is really tough to kind of predict. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the Sixers? Yeah, they are like hard to predict is probably the best way to put it because it's hard. Like Joel Embiid is obviously one of the best players in the NBA. Um, Tyrese Maxey looked phenomenal. They still have some other solid pieces. Kelly Oubre did probably fit a lot better than uh, and provide a lot more than most expected. I didn't expect him to have 27 points, five threes in his debut. Probably won't continue to produce at that level, but should still be a solid depth piece. I really liked Anthony Melton was hoping for a little bit more from him last night, statistically for fantasy purposes. Um, but they still like they're set up. They're just one piece away. Like with James Harden here, you would have to throw them in the mix among the contenders, assuming chemistry things are fine. But with trading for Terrence Mann, it's like, like, like you said, the bucks are the, probably the best team with Boston number two or vice versa, depending on how you look at it. I don't know what Philadelphia can do with a trade that would make them in that conversation with those two teams. If the, what they're probably, I would imagine Daryl Morey's probably hoping that a similar situation to what happened when he was able to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden starts to unravel. And it's a team that has a disgruntled star and they're able to kind of work out a trade with James Harden. That way it's not like Terrence Mann in a first because I know James Harden isn't what he was, but hopefully you can still get more than a role player and a first round pick on a team that's probably going to be a playoff team. Now, if it's something, this is a hypothetical, like Chicago continues to look as bad as they did in their first game. That's one game. Let's not overreact, but they were having a players only meeting after one game, yeah. maybe a guy like a, a Zach Levine or a DeMar DeRozan, and they can work out some sort of trade. Would Chicago do that? I don't know. But if it's like a, a James Harden, plus something for DeMar or plus something for Zach Levine, that would probably make sense for Philly. And then Chicago would be able to get some assets back, even though they're taking on James Harden, who probably wouldn't want to be in Chicago any more than he wants to be in Philadelphia. But they have a lot of the pieces there. It just feels like they're one away to really be in the same conversation with a Milwaukee or with a Boston. When Sam Amick was on my show running up the score, I asked him about who could be some stars that could be on the move next. And he mentioned uh, he thinks that Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan could be a this year kind of thing. Like before the trade deadline, we could see both of those guys move potentially. So I think those are great options that you mentioned. Um, and he mentioned that most teams are kind of circling Joel Embiid right now, like vultures wondering, okay, it could, if this whole James Harden situation doesn't pan out or, you know, they can't, 
continue to contend does Embiid ask out eventually um so I think yeah if you're if you're more you're hoping that one of these volatile situations kind of blows up and that a star becomes available and then you can package Harden with something to go get them or you know figure out some way to put uh, a you know contending team around Embiid essentially so yeah I think that that's a good one um but yeah I just have a hard time reading this team because we don't know what's going to happen and there's so many things up in the air I mean they could have to settle for the Clippers offer and I, that's the problem right now like there's no other dark horse team that has really emerged for Harden so the Clippers are like we're not going to bid against ourselves and you know give up all these assets and I, I Sam said on my my show that they feel like uh they've given away too many of their young homegrown talents over the years with the Chris Paul trade. Uh, there have been a few of those situations now. So they, and you look at their their future and kind of the situation that they're in, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can opt out after the season. James Harden would also be a one-year rental. So they're thinking, do we really want to give up multiple draft picks and young assets when it could be all for a one-year rental and then we're left with nothing after the season? So I understand their thinking. Um, they, Maury needs some other team to emerge and feel like they're one James Harden away, basically, from contending and then be willing to give up an, you know, an offer better than what the Clippers are offering. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think this is a team like you said, that's built to win right now and has all the pieces except that second star. Yeah. And I don't imagine like, is there a team? I can't think of one and probably nobody really is able to think of one that's okay. If you throw James Harden in this situation, like they're a contender now because James Harden hasn't been really ever the guy that you're saying, okay, add James Harden. And we're all of a sudden, like we are a contender now, even in his prime, like when they, added him to Brooklyn, like, sure, you were probably saying, like, they have way too much talent that if they're able to stay healthy, they're probably going to be in the NBA Finals. And if they were healthy, then maybe. But now we have James Harden kind of past his prime. It's still a very good player, very good facilitator, especially. But there isn't really a team that it feels like is a James Harden. I mean, the Clippers probably are the best example because yeah. they have Russell Westbrook at point guard. But is is that going to coexist? at all like is russell westbrook james harden paul george and Kawhi leonard in a starting lineup gonna work or are they bringing westbrook off the bench at that point like it just feels like that's probably the best scenario maybe a miami but i don't even know if i mean james harden just doesn't seem like he fits heat culture right. at all <laughs> that's what i was gonna say i don't think there's a great fit there yeah i agree i mean the clippers seem like the best it. that's why Harden that's his preference too because I think he likes the situation there and he knows that's kind of his best bet um and I think you're right at 34 years old there's not a ton of teams that are going to be saying oh we're a Harden away so yeah it's going to be tough for uh Maury to kind of find another bidder uh and otherwise he might just have to settle for the Clippers best offer so yeah I'm curious to see how this kind of pans out it'll be interesting yeah but the Bucks look phenomenal despite it being their first game Giannis I mean, all of the uh, the fantasy concerns were were prevalent with seven turnovers and three of nine from the free throw line, but he was able to do a little bit more defensively. He kind of had a down year last year um, with the defensive stats without Chris Middleton playing a lot, just taking on a larger offensive role. The defensive numbers kind of went down. So I think at least my hope and I guess other people's hope was that the defensive numbers would go up with Dame taking on a lot of the offensive load. And he had two steals, two blocks uh, to go with 12 rebounds in the first game back. You mentioned that you think that pairing can coexist really well, both kind of chemistry-wise, but also 
play style because you see people posting uh, the pictures of four people guarding Damian Lillard at half court when he was playing in Portland and then four people or five people in the paint guarding Giannis. Obviously, you can't really do that. And then adding in a shooter like Malik Beasley, a shooter like Brooke Lopez, and a shooter like Chris Middleton around them, the offense should be fine. I think a lot of people's question is, how does this team operate defensively after losing Drew Holiday? And I believe there was a report saying, hey, Malik Beasley is going to be our primary on-ball perimeter defender, which I guess kind of makes sense with Dame and Chris Middleton. But no, like, I don't think Beasley's – and I haven't looked at any numbers to back this up or anything. He's not a bad defender, but are you wanting Malik Beasley to be your primary defender when you're going up against a Boston or a Miami in the playoffs? Yeah, that's the concern. Defense, uh, you know, I will say Adrian Griffin was great as a defensive coach when he was in Toronto. You know, he's the one that kind of uh, created all their defensive schemes and, and did a great job on that end. So I think they're in good hands. But, yeah, I, I Beasley, to your point, isn't someone that you really fear as, like, this lockdown defender or anything like that. So um, defense is going to be with a big question mark. Um, I'm very curious to see kind of what they can do on that end. You know, having Giannis and Brooke Lopez obviously helps, but as far as the backcourt goes, that's going to be the big question mark. Even not only just losing Drew Holiday, but losing someone like Grayson Allen, who is a, a you know, positive defensive contributor and a hustle player. And uh, it'll be interesting. I think uh, this team has a ton of talent. And I think there, there are, there are going to be ups and downs, especially early in the season as they kind of figure everything out. Um, but yeah, come playoff time, I still think they can, they can, you know, win the Eastern Conference and, and make it to the NBA Finals. Uh, but yeah, it is going to be. They need some other players to step up. Um, and, I, and defense is going to be the big question mark. I think that uh, we're all kind of focusing on for uh, the, the entire season. And it's going to be a big challenge for two first-year head coaches. But if we move to the later game. It's another first-year head coach coaching this Suns team with three. I mean, I don't think Devin Booker's averaged 30 per game in his career, like over a season, but I know Bradley Beal, I know Kevin Durant have, and I know that Devin Booker's that type of talent. Um, obviously, trying to make that work, Frank Vogel's won a championship. I'm, he's not like a first-year head coach, but first year with this team. Yeah. Uh, we saw them play the Lakers, uh, lose 195 without Beal, without Devin Booker um, to – a really good Anthony Davis performance, a bounce back after really struggling the second half against Denver. Um, and then, you know, LeBron filled up the stat sheet again, played 35 minutes after reports came out that they were going to try and limit him to 28 to 30 minutes per game during the regular season. So I guess it was a little bit encouraging for people that have him in fantasy, the fact that he was able to play 35. But what did you kind of see while watching that game, which was basically, I mean, it kind of felt like Kevin Durant versus the Lakers. Yeah, I think it was, what, the first time we've seen KD and LeBron face off in, like, several years. So, yeah. uh, fitting that, you know, KD's kind of all alone, has a ball in his hand a ton, and it felt like uh, KD versus LeBron for a while there. But, yeah, I mean, I don't want to take too much away from that game because they were missing Devin Booker and Brad Beal. This is a team that already had some issues with depth, and that was kind of one of the concerns going into the season. Now, I will give James Jones credit. I think they did a better job kind of putting a bench together than I thought they'd be able to do just because they only had minimum contracts. And uh, the fact that they were able to add, you know, some quality shooters and, uh, you know, make some trades and, and their, their bench is better than I anticipated, but it's still not a strength by any means. So when you have to put two of those guys in the starting lineup and you're missing book and, and Beal, things aren't going to look great. Uh, especially because this is a team that's still uh, coming together and, and, you know, trying to get on the same page, you know, you add Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, it's not even just the, the Brad Beal thing. There's, you know, a whole new bench 
Nurkic is a new starter. Um, you know, KD's been there, but he wasn't there very long. So, uh, and you're everyone's learning a new system with a coach. And it's funny, just like I mentioned, Adrian Griffin, Frank Vogel is a defensive-minded coach with this team that has tons of offensive weapons. It's kind of a similar thing where he's going to try to get them to be good enough defensively, and then offensively, we know it's all going to work out because they have so many great scorers. But yeah, I don't know. I think um, you know it's good to see that you know KD can go still have a, a 39, 11 type of game. I know some people were wondering, you know, going with, with Beal and Booker out, uh, can, is he still capable of kind of putting a team on his back and having those monster performances? Obviously they didn't win, but, uh, you know, he's still capable of doing that. Uh, I, I think with this team, they're going to be fine, uh, especially once they're at full strength. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the use of Nurkic trade. I, mm-hmm. I didn't think he was the best fit. Um, I thought DeAndre Ayton might be a better fit for them, but I think the argument was, they the, the the relationship there just couldn't be repaired and it had gotten so bad that they basically had to go find the best trade that they could make to find a new starting center because Aiden it just wasn't going to work out um and I understand the thought process of oh Aiden had issues with his motor you know he couldn't really stretch the flo- the the floor and provide spacing and knock down threes so Nurkic at least we know what we're going to get he's going to hustle every play rebound and he can knock down some threes and provide some spacing so I kind of get the thinking but he's also someone that's missed a lot of time with injuries. He was being talked about as like one of the worst contracts in the league not too long ago. Um, and it just seems like the Suns valued him a lot more than other teams did, I guess I would say. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that move. But then in the first game, he looked great. And he's screening and getting tons of rebounds and making all the right plays. Um, I think that with him, one of the questions <laughs> is just uh, consistency. So I think the hope is that you know, with a contending team with a ton of star players and veteran leaders, you know, can they basically get him to lock in and do this more nights than not? Um, he obviously had an off game last night. Uh, he was what one of five from the field. Uh, you know, he didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, four turnovers. So that's the kind of the use of Nurkic experience. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, what he can do over the course of a full season. But yeah, I mean, this team just. They're they're a team that is very top heavy. So I think when you have one or two of these star players or starters that are missing, it's going to look ugly uh, at times. So that's kind of what we saw last night. Um, that was my biggest takeaway. Um, I'm curious to see. Uh, I think Jordan Goodwin looked okay off the bench. You know, he's. I was surprised they were able to get him basically as a throw in mm-hmm. in the Bradley Beal trade just because it felt like they already kind of won that deal uh, convincingly. And then to just be able to get him as part of it, uh, that was, I think, good for James Jones. And, and he had some uh, nice plays last night. So I think that's an interesting takeaway. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to see the Suns team at full strength finally. Adam Silver must be so angry. <laughs> they introduced <laughs> this, uh, you know, uh, punishment and fines for, for teams that are arresting players. And then last night, the doubleheader is – the Sixers without Harden, Chris Middleton doesn't play the second half, and then in this game they're missing Brad Beal, Devin Booker. It's just like he's like, can we just get one nationally televised doubleheader where all the stars are playing? And obviously it's a little bit different. They're not just resting those guys. Um, you know, there are some injuries that are there, but it definitely seems like they're being overly cautious and basically saying we're not going to rush them out there. You know, for the second game of the season. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny. Just you know, right after in- implementing those uh, those rules to have so many stars that weren't on the court is kind of funny. But um, as far as the Lakers go, I think this team, uh, I think they're legit. Uh, we saw in the second half of last year, they looked fantastic after that midseason shakeup. And um, I don't know, I like, I like some of the offseason additions. Um, I, I think this is a team that 
you know, did a good job of re-signing all their own pieces. And then to be able to now add in, uh, you know, Christian Wood, Cam Reddish, Gabe Vincent, Jackson Hayes, you know, it wasn't the best game for those guys last night. But um, I, I think they're an interesting group. And I think they are a legitimate contender in the Western Conference. But that doesn't say a lot because there's like seven or eight contenders out in the west so it's going to be crazy in the west but i think they look good last night you know i i think the lebron minute thing is interesting that's being talked about a lot obviously um you know how much are they going to play him game after game um but i thought the the lebron ad duo looked fantastic last night um yeah i mean i think if you're a lakers fan things are definitely looking better now than a year ago at this time uh and there's a lot more to be excited about so i, I thought they they looked good yeah, a lot more depth than at this time last year. Uh, with the LeBron minutes thing, maybe the Lakers were just trying to help Adam Silver out because they were the only team that kind of didn't either rest somebody or they were like, well, we'll play LeBron 35 minutes this game. Maybe, maybe help yeah. Adam out a little bit. Um, but they have enough depth to kind of limit his minutes and hopefully maybe that can have him play more games. Maybe he's aiming for that 65-game threshold to be considered for awards. So they kind of said, hey, if we limit you to 28 minutes per game as opposed to playing you 35, which I think that's what he did last year, we can have you out on the court more, more consideration for awards uh, because he's basically a lock for all and all NBA team as long as he's on the floor. Um, but yeah, a lot more depth there. Uh, Gabe Vincent is a very solid backup point guard. Uh, not going to do a ton statistically generally, but he did have six assists, three steals last night. And then not surprised at all that Anthony Davis bounced back um, against a Suns team that doesn't have as much down low as probably Denver does. Um I mean, also a very new team um, because he went scoreless against Denver in the second half and then bounced back with 30 points, 12 boards, three steals, three blocks. Um, doesn't look like the uh, the six threes per game thing is working out for Darvin Ham so far, saying that he wanted to get AD to shoot at least six threes per game. Only shot two last night. On the Sun side, you bring up Jordan Goodwin. I thought he was awesome in Washington last year. There was a lot of games where they were down a number of players and he came in and was able to provide some really good value. Uh, was a great streaming option at times uh, for fantasy, gave really good steal numbers. So, yeah, just want to see the Suns play with Devin Booker, with Bradley Beal, with Kevin Durant, because if I'm not mistaken, during the preseason, they only all played against the Pistons, and that first quarter that they had together, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but they were incredible, and they just like didn't miss. And now we haven't been able to really see them play together since because Beal's been hurt. So hopefully uh, their next game, which is uh, against the Jazz on NBA TV again, so they're going to be on um, national TV again on Saturday, hopefully we're at least able to see the full team because I think that's kind of what everybody wants to see before we can draw any conclusions. 100%. Yeah, I think everyone going to this year was excited about seeing the new look uh Suns and then the new look Bucks. So, I mean, last night, obviously, the NBA knew what they were doing with the doubleheader. Well, we didn't get a chance to see them. But, yeah, I think uh, this team's going to be a ton of fun. And, and, again, I think their bench could be better than what we talked about when, you know, you add some of these guys back to the bench. But if those guys are having to play significant minutes and, and be in the starting lineup, it's just not going to go well. So, yeah, it's hard to really take anything away, um, you know, unless the team is fully healthy. So, hopefully, we get that this weekend. Yeah. And if we go back to Wednesday's games, obviously, I think it was 12 games, 11 games, a lot more than it was on Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, can't go through all of those, but did want to highlight a few things, namely the Magic Rockets game, which you were at. I know you got to talk to Paolo Bencaro before. Um, and then, but were you able to talk to any other coaches or players or glean any little bit of information uh, on either side that would be, I guess, pertinent to fantasy managers? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, first of all, I was really impressed with the magic. Uh, you know, they, it was a really well-rounded effort. Um, I, I think uh, some things to take away from the game as far as, like, fantasy. Uh, Jonathan Isaac looks fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. I was really impressed. He's a – I actually have him in a dynasty league, and I wasn't sure what to really do with him because I've had him as a stash ever since he was injured. And then I was wondering, you know, what was his, what would his status be coming into the season? What role would he have? But – he was awesome out there. I mean, and I would say it's he was better than what the stats and like the box score indicate. Um, you know, he was there was like a stretch there where he had a three, an and one dunk, and then a block on the other end, like a block dunk. I mean, he was just so active and making plays left and right, um, and doing it on both ends. He's always been a guy that has like elite defensive potential if healthy. Uh, and then he just always had the injuries and things like that. So I was really impressed with, uh, you know, Franz Wagner was fantastic as a, as a scorer, um, creating for himself and others. Uh, I, th- I think he just looks so more, so much more confident uh, this year. Uh, you know, he had great games last year too, but I think his confidence is a whole other level. Maybe the world cup is part of that. Um, but he's carrying himself like a, a star player and uh, Paolo didn't have the best game, so I think that helped when, you know, France can kind of take over and be that number one for them. Uh, and then Cole Anthony, I was really impressed. They were entering the season, all the talk was around, okay, they drafted Anthony Black, uh, they already have Markel Foltz and Jalen Suggs, you know, will they trade Cole Anthony? Instead, they gave him a three-year extension, and he was fantastic. You know, he finished with 20 points, 8-12 uh, from the field, he had what eight rebounds, uh, two assists. I mean, he was he was incredible. He was a plus seventeen. Uh, that second unit that came in with, um, you know, Anthony, Isaac, Gary Harris, they were great. I mean, Gary Harris played really well too. A really efficient eleven points, uh, five of eight shooting from the field. The ball movement was great. The defensive intensity was great. I think they're a big reason why this game turned into a blowout. Um, so this team is very deep. Um, you know, last year. That wasn't the case. You had, you know, Paolo and Franz and Markel and Wendell Carter Jr. And then when those guys come out of the game, there would be some issues. Um, if this second unit can keep looking that great, uh, this team could actually make some noise and maybe be a play-in team this year. Um, so I'm a fan of this Magic squad. I think they're a lot of fun. You know, if you're a Paolo fan, I wouldn't panic. Uh, he didn't have the best shooting night, but he was still creating for others and rebounding the ball. And defensively, I think he's gotten significantly better and seems more locked in on that end. So I think some defensive stats could be coming for Paolo. Um, so yeah, it wasn't his best game, obviously. And I would like to see him be more aggressive. I think there are times when uh, you know, he tends to just let his his teammates kind of take over, and he wants to create for them more than himself. Um, and it's a great quality to have if you're, you know, running the magic. But if you're running a fantasy team, <laughs> you're frustrated and you want to see Paolo take over and put up 20 shots. Uh, but there are going to be these games when he has six shot attempts, and that's kind of frustrating. But uh, you know, it's it's kind of who he is as a player. He wants to create for others and, and get others involved. And if things are working, he's going to kind of take what the defense gives him. So. Uh, this Magic team is very interesting. As far as the, the Rockets go, they just look so bad. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, they could not do anything uh, offensively. Fred Van Vliet uh, was their leading. I guess they had a couple guys score 14 points, but uh, it was pretty rough. Uh, this team, I think it's going to be – obviously, they have a lot of new faces, so I'll give them that pass. Uh, they're obviously going to take some time to get everyone on the same page, but – it was not a great opening game. Uh, and I think after the game, uh, 
their coaching staff even said like th- that they got beat physically. The Magic did whatever they wanted. They were just moving them. Like it, it seemed like they had no business being on the same floor as the Magic, and that's pretty sad considering the Magic aren't this playoff team. It's not like we're saying you know it was the Nuggets or some juggernaut of a team that just destroyed them. I mean, it's the Magic. So uh, hopefully, better games are ahead for the Rockets because that was a really, really brutal way to open the season. Um, I think there are some bright spots. Alperin Sangoon, I think, is fantastic. I mean, I love his game. Uh, you know, he didn't have a monster. I guess his numbers were pretty good. 14 points, 6 assists, 8 rebounds. Not too bad, but the way that they can just run the offense through him and him, the way he creates for others, I mean, he is a fantastic young player, so I'm a big fan of his. Um, other than that, I don't know. It was pretty, pretty brutal. Uh, what were some of your takeaways? Well, looking at the Magic, you mentioned... Uh... Paolo didn't, you know, put up a ton of, I guess, stats, really. Uh, he was 12, 5, and 5 with a steal. Um, but I know when you interviewed him, because I, I remember him saying that when he doesn't have things going, he can rely on Franz and, like, vice versa. So I remember him saying that. So it's interesting that you brought that up, that Franz Wagner was able to be really aggressive, have a really good game. They both played 27, 28 minutes because of the blowout. So maybe the numbers would have looked a little bit better if the game was a little bit closer. Um, but there's something else that actually – I uh, meant to ask about earlier that uh, when you interviewed Paolo and talking about uh, them being a playoff team or the ESPN top hundred where both him and Franz were uh, ranked top 50, which I guess was a prediction for this upcoming season. I think a lot of people kind of missed out on what it says at the top of those rankings that it's a prediction for the upcoming season, not what has happened in the past, but right. apparently, I mean, we all saw Patrick Beverly didn't really care that or care for them being ranked in the top 50. Um, but Paolo had a, Great answer, I thought, um, when you asked him that. But I know you, you were kind of asking for what I thought about it, but I'll, and I'll get back to that. But I did want to ask, like, what did you think about Paolo's answer? And, like, do you think that this is a playoff team this year? Yeah, you know, I thought he was very mature about it. You know, he basically said, A, he has a podcast, so he has to talk and, and kind of <laughs> create these viral situations or, or moments and things that blow up. So he, he understands that. Um, and then he said, look, we've been together one year and we saw our win total increase by 12 wins. You know, we had a positive year together and they're still figuring each other out. You know, it's two guys that, again, are... 6'10 creators. There's not many teams out there that have two guys that are 6'10, 6'11 that can create for themselves and others, especially two guys that, you know, are so young that you can kind of build around going forward. So I think the the potential there, he even said, you know, the the potential, the ceiling is very high for this duo and they think they can be one of the better duos in the league. Um, It's just, it takes time to kind of get everyone on the same page and figure out that one-two punch. Uh, I think this year that could be the case. What's going to be interesting is we saw this sometimes last year, and then in this first game, it feels like there are Paolo games, and then there are Franz games. Uh, I think what's going to be really interesting to see if eventually they can get to the point where both of them have monster games together, and they can kind of both uh, you know, put up big numbers. It's happened before. I'm not saying it's never happened. It's just there are these games that uh, it seems like they kind of take turns a bit versus both of them kind of going off. And um, I'm hoping we see more of that this year. Uh, now that's their second year together. So I think, yeah, it was a great response basically saying, look, Paolo was a rookie. Franz is still young. It was their first year together. It's going to take time. Um, and as far as playoffs, I mean, this team is talking about playoffs as a goal. Wendell Carter Jr. during media day said that it's playoffs or bust this season. Paolo said that the focus has been on making the playoffs. And uh, I think one of the things that Jamal Mosley has been telling this group is, look, 
don't listen to all the outside noise and, and, you know, everything else. Like, you're ready. This team is absolutely a playoff team. He's raved about how mature this group is, uh, how they hold each other accountable. And then one of the things that he always talks about, too, is that this team takes coaching so well. Um, they are asking for more uh, input from the coaches and watching film like crazy. And not only are they super mature and take coaching really well, they also support each other a ton. It's a very close-knit team. Um, I feel like it's aside from that NBA Finals year where the Magic, you know, played the Lakers in the finals when they had, you know, Dwight, Jameer, Ray Alston, JJ Redick, Rashard Lewis, Hito Turklu. Like that was a super close knit team. Um, and I think the next year they kind of ruined it a little bit by moving Courtney Lee, Tony Batie, some like really important glue guys. Um, like Tony Batie was Dwight Howard's like mentor. Courtney Lee was his best friend in the team that lived with them. You know, they made that trade for Vince Carter, and the idea was to get better on the court, but I think it really hurt them in the locker room. But the reason I bring all that up is because I think this might be the second closest team I've seen since that group back then. Um, everyone gets along so well. Because they're all around the same age, I think it helps, too, that, you know, they all hang out, and, and they're all kind of at the same point in their life, aside from, like, a Joe Ingles, who has a family and kids, and uh, Gary Harris, who's a bit older. But they all are very similar and around the same age. Age and they seem so close um like even after the rockets game they're all just hanging out in the locker room watching the other games together and talking about you know what's happening in the other games around the nba uh you know they're not rushing to go home or do stuff like they all hang out and it seems like a very close-knit group um so yeah i think uh and they all support each other like that was one of the things that uh coach was talking about like they they were all celebrating uh cole anthony's big extension and there's a, I think we all as fans like to believe that, oh, every player, you know, they're, they're best friends and they all get along. But at the end of the day, there's only so much money to go around when you're talking about a salary cap. So there's some teams where, you know, one player getting a big extension might piss off a few of players on the team because that could have been money that they could make. On this team, like they're all celebrating Cole and, you know, uh, I think they all went out and, and you know, basically celebrated him and uh, they're all super happy for him. And it just seems like a, a group of of not only teammates but like they actually seem like friends and they all get along so i think that helps too um so yeah i mean i've been picking them as my surprise team all season long i think maybe even you were on my show i mentioned it they're my big surprise i think they're going to be a play on play in team this year um you know obviously their best basketball is going to be two three years from now whenever some of these pieces are in their prime but could this be the year that that kind of starts they take that step forward i think that's possible one guy we haven't even talked about is markel foltz too and i think he mm -hmm. could be in for a breakout year uh he impressed me so much last year with his defense he wasn't really known for that you know he was obviously uh known as being this great scorer and, and passer and then everything that happened in philly too but last year he was a, a pest defensively like a poison opposing point guards hated playing against him he was picking up guys full court you know he was getting a bunch of steals uh he was so aggressive defensively and i i think that was awesome to see so i think when you combine that with this new confidence he has offensively he came in at media day and said uh uh, you know, I'm about to put the league on notice. I'm about to have my best season. He predicted a breakout year. He he uh, he shaved his head and was like, I have a new look, and this is a new me, and I'm going to have a breakout year. He said this was his first season since he entered the NBA where he's had a healthy offseason, where he was actually able to focus on his game and work out, and that's pretty wild to think about. But yeah. uh, it's I think he fully believes that he's going to have his best season. He was talking about even, like, winning most improved player and stuff. Like, he is entering this year very confident and knows that with the role he has, he could have a monster year. So I think he's someone to watch, too, that, you know, he didn't have the craziest opening night stats or anything like that. But uh, I think he's going to have some big games this year and could be in for his best season. Yeah, and 
if you look at last year, because they were a little bit outside of the play and a few games out, but they were 29 and 31, if I'm not mistaken, off the uh, off the top of my head, when he played. So they were basically a 500 team when they were kind of healthy with a rookie, Paolo, and a second-year Franz. So another year, like one of my bold predictions was that both them and Indiana were going to be playing postseason basketball, whether that's just a play-in tournament or actually making the playoffs. So Glad to see we're on the same page about that. And then Adam King from Fantasy Basketball International loves, loves Markel Fultz this year and has been getting him and reaching on him in every draft that I've seen him in. So um, great news for him there because he's been investing a lot. And then with Houston, it, it's interesting because, you know, I feel like Orlando Magic Twitter and Houston Rocket Twitter kind of go at each other a good bit because they're on the kind of a, a similar timeline. Both have a lot of lottery talent. I think the Magic have 11 former lottery picks on their team, which is just crazy to think about. But you mentioning all the maturity that the coaches rave about there. And then Houston, it feels like reports kind of suggest that, you know, I think it was what John Wall was talking about. There's things that players are allowed to get away with there that they're not allowed to if you go to any other team in the league. Um, and I think the idea was that Ime Udoka would kind of fix that based on what I've read or seen. Um, and obviously it's just one game. But it feels like they have a good bit of talent there, obviously without Tari Eason, but still have a lot of young guys, um, Ahmed Thompson, along with their starting five. So I think, you know, it may not be the playoff season for Houston that maybe fans are hoping for when they were able to bring in a really good point guard like Fred Van Vliet and bringing in Dylan Brooks, who is one of the best defenders in the NBA, regardless of how you feel about what he says in the media and how he acts on the court, like, he's one of the best defenders in the NBA and he shot five for seven hit four threes um, in that game. And obviously had his phenomenal game against team USA in the world cup as well. So they have pieces. Shangun is awesome offensively. Um, yeah. I mean, Jalen green shooting two for 10 doesn't really help you much, but they have a bright future. Obviously we just need to see a little bit more out of them. Um, yeah. Hopefully well sooner rather than later. I agree. Uh, yeah, I think the the core there is interesting. We'll just see if they can come together this year, or if it's gonna take more time. Yeah, and we can hit on one more thing because I mean, what would a podcast about basketball be if you didn't talk about Victor Wembanyama? And I know you're talking to his trainer tonight. Um, what did you kind of think of his de- his debut? Obviously, good bit of foul trouble, but an awesome fourth quarter. It felt like a lot of wow moments, especially like obviously during the preseason we saw a lot of that, but. It seems like every time Wemby has the ball in his hands, like everybody, like it is with a lot of exciting players, everybody's eyes are on them. Like, okay, like what's he going to do next? What highlight is he going to, you know, is he going to dunk from like standing, but in the middle of the paint, or is he going to come out of nowhere and block shots? Cause I think it was, uh, I was watching it pretty early on and it seemed like Kyrie Kyrie. had like, yeah, like just an easy mid range pull up jumper. And I didn't even see Wemby on the screen. All of a sudden this guy's just reaching out from however far away he was and blocking. And I was like, I wonder how often Kyrie gets his pull-up jumpers blocked. Like it can't be very often. So what did you think of the the debut of arguably the most hyped prospect since LeBron or even more hyped? Yeah, I think uh, that was one of the things that I asked uh, Tim Martin, his trainer, about. And, and he mentioned that, you know, it was a circus. Like he was at the game and, and said, you know, you had the, the Spurs fan there. It was it felt like an NBA finals game. That's what he said. <laughs> People were like going nuts. And I, that's got to be tough for anyone, much less a teenager, to be, you know, deal with that kind of hype. But that's 
that's why there's so many uh, – we, we talk about like the LeBron-James comparison. It's not easy when you face that kind of pressure. The fact that LeBron has been able to go deal with that pressure and then not only meet the wow. expectations but arguably exceed them, it's it's insane. So he mentioned that you know he's a mentally tough kid and that he thinks it's going to be fine, but it's not going anywhere. You know, Spurs fans are, are excited to see him. And then on the road, he's going to be a top attraction that people are coming to see too. So the Wemby mania thing isn't, isn't going anywhere. It's going to be – you know, happening all season long. But as far as how he played, you know, there were definitely flashes, I think, defensively, to your point. I asked him about that Kyrie play, and Tim had always said, he'd been saying this for like a year now, that he's going to enter the NBA and already be one of the best players in the, like one of the best defenders in the league uh, from day one, just because of his length, his timing, everything there. Um, I, I think that is a possibility. He could be a top shot blocker this year. I mean, he's that uh already he's a, he's a natural in the defensive end and has the the physical tools to be dominant and that was a great example of what he can do that most players can't you know even some of the plays in the preseason like blocking threes and just making it look so easy um obviously it took him some time to settle in offensively and kind of make an impact i think part of it is kind of like uh we mentioned paolo he's not the most aggressive player i think he's going to look for the right play and he's not someone that's going to you know, basically be a black hole on offense where he just gets the ball and just doesn't pass it. Um, he tends to look for the right play and play within a system. Um, I think he's going to be a really special player, and I, I think it will take him probably a couple games to, to get used to the NBA. And there's going to be some matchups that are harder for him than others, especially some like the bigger guys he's facing. But I, I think he'll have some monster games sooner than later. You know, we saw it in the preseason. He had, you know, that game against the Miami Heat where he just looked unstoppable and filled the stat sheet. Like, there's going to be games pretty soon here where he's filling the stat sheet and, and looking dominant. Um, it's just, it's going to be tough because there is all that hype, and he is so young. So when you're a 19-year-old, there's going to be ups and downs and some inconsistency and things like that. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's still my favorite to win Rookie of the Year. I think he's going to fill the stat sheet, and he'll be okay. And I think the games where he has, you know, uh, foul trouble or – the, the stats aren't that, you know, they don't really jump off the page. I think that's going to be uh, few and far between, uh, personally. But, yeah, I think um, one of the things that impressed me most about, about Wemby, and this is something that I talked to his trainer, Tim Martin, about, was just he has all the physical tools, but mentally and his basketball IQ, that really stands out to me. Like, he seems like he's very mature for his age. He seems like he understands the game extremely well one thing that tim always says is that you can show him something one time and he's like mastered it like he can just do it easily they started working back in 2020 and it was all over zoom and so he would literally show him something over zoom because tim was in dallas Wemby was mm -hmm. in paris and so he would show him something once over zoom and then like that night in the games Wemby's doing it and making it look easy like that's just how he is so um he's been uh, he's kind of a freak in that way as well. We all we all know about the athleticism and the wingspan and you know his skill set, but uh, he's also just like super coachable and has a great basketball IQ. So, and I think of you know again the LeBron comparison always comes up. LeBron's kind of the same way. We always know about you know his basketball IQ, the the ability to memorize plays, remember what happened ten years ago on a random play if you ask him. Like I think Wemby has some of that as well. So he seems like the complete package to me on the court, off the court. I'm a huge fan of his game. I think you know he's going to be a ton of fun to watch this year, and then just seeing how dominant he could be this year when he kind of puts everything together, I just can't even imagine, like, what his prime is going to be. Like, assuming he can stay healthy and everything, like, what is he going to look like as a 25, 26-year-old? Like, it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, I don't know how you're going to be able to stop him 
uh, with his skill set. So I, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, one of the other things I'll mention, I'm not sure if you saw the video of him with how flexible he is, where he's doing splits. Mm. And, like, it just – some of the stuff he's doing, it looks like he's Gumby. Like, I tweeted the video <laughs> out, and he can literally do splits. He can, like, bend his – like, contort his body in ways that no one should be able to do, much less someone that's seven foot four, seven foot five. Like, it's insane. So I think he has that advantage, too. He has uh, – super flexible and he's been working on his body for a long time so it seems like he's doing all the right things to not only be effective on the court but also stay healthy which i think is maybe the most important thing for him uh in someone his size so yeah i mean i'm a huge wemby fan i would tell anyone if you uh if you love wemby watch the interview i have with tim martin tonight i'm not just plugging it uh you know to yeah. be annoying please but do <laughs> it's, it is it is really interesting hearing him talk about you know, everything they've kind of worked on over the last three years. He gives a great, you know, in-depth breakdown of, of Wemby's debut. Um, you can check it out on my Twitter account. You know, all the episodes air on there. But he was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I think Wemby's going to be a very, very special player. Not that I'm the first person to say that, but I think he's, a, <laughs> he's definitely a generational prospect. And I think uh, we're going to be talking about him as, like, a top-five player in the league very, very soon, maybe within, like, the next year or two. Yeah, and you guys all heard uh, what Alex has coming up, where you can find his show. One quick question before I let you go, just to follow up on Wemby, because I've kind of had this discussion with some friends, you know, with how good he already is defensively and the impact that he can make. Just, you know, you've seen clips of players on offense with him down low, and they're kind of saying, like, I'm not going to shoot because he's down there. Is there a chance that we see rookie Victor Wembanyama either get defensive player of the year votes or even be a dark horse candidate to win defensive player of the year? I think he could get votes. I'm not sure that they'll have a good enough team defense or like good enough like record for him to really have like a strong case to win the award. But I think he'll probably get some votes, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know we're talking about him as like an all defensive second team type, uh, you know, candidate. Uh, I, I think to your point, the stats jump out but he also alters so many shots and just affects players he's in players head like where's Wemby yeah. do I have to, can I shoot right now like we definitely have seen that in the preseason and in the opening night game um so yeah I, I would not be surprised I think Tim on on my show said that he alters like 40 percent of shots which is not a bad estimate he might be right uh it's kind of crazy to think about but yeah, I think he, he could have that kind of impact where we're seeing him maybe make an all-defensive team, and maybe he does get some votes. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what his block numbers look like. And uh, I will say this. I think the advantage that he has, unlike most rookies, is that anything he does is going to get tons of attention. They're going to be on national TV a decent amount. If Wemby is averaging, let's say, three, four blocks, everyone's going to hear about it, whereas some rookies, maybe in a smaller market like he is, wouldn't get that kind of attention, and they'd have to you know, kind of – take a year or two, get their name out there, and we're going get the hype. Uh, because of all the attention that he's getting and the microscope that he's under, if he's playing great defense, we're all going to know about it. So I think that helps him when it comes time for the voters to make their decisions too. Um, so, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he does get some votes and maybe makes an all-defensive team. Interesting, interesting. It'll be definitely something that's to keep an eye out for. Uh, should be fun to watch how that progresses. But, Alex, it was a lot of fun getting to uh, kind of hear how you got into journalism. And thank you so much for joining me to talk about the NBA. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So that is going to do it for episode 35 of the Tank Me Later podcast. Uh, you can follow Alex on Twitter at AlexKennedyNBA. Make sure you check out Running Up the Score. You can also follow me at NoahRubin22. Follow Fantasy Basketball International at FBI Basketball. Check out the website, like, rate, review this podcast, all that good stuff. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode.
You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.